0: What's up, y'all? Welcome to a new episode of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. I hope each and every one of you is having a fantastic week. It's a very special week with a very special guest. It's episode 5050. 50 episodes. Hard to believe from my standpoint. Feeling truly thankful for all of you listeners out there. Please continue to spread the word. Let's continue to grow together. All right. If you're curious about getting started in passive real estate investing, go to attorneybydesign.com and download the Freedom Blueprint to join our circle of investors so you can start your own personal journey of buying back your time. For most of us, we have work life and then we have family life. Those things are generally separated and likely for good reason, As much as you'd like to think so, your significant other couldn't care less about the deposition you gave today, the patient you saw, or the purchase agreement you negotiated, just leave it at work. But what if your business was something that the whole family could enjoy and participate in together? Something that you could grow personally and financially together in? In all likelihood, we're not getting that from our W-2s. But our guest of honor today, a true commercial real estate titan, and one of the best dudes in the industry, will share with us how he did it, how his whole family is now involved in his real estate and education business, and he shows you just how beautiful of a thing it can be. Gino Barbaro is an investor, a business owner, a best-selling author and entrepreneur. He has grown his real estate portfolio to over $100 million in assets under management, and is the co-founder of Jake and Gino, a multi-family real estate education company that offers coaching and training in real estate founded upon their framework of buy right, manage right, and finance right. He currently resides in St. Augustine, Florida with his beautiful wife, Julia, and their six children. He's the best-selling author of three books, Wheelbarrow Profits, The Honeybee, and Family Food and The Friars. Feeling so grateful today, let's get it going. everywhere. Um, and I've heard you on you know thousands of podcasts, including your own. So I just want to start out and just thank you for coming on. And I want to ask you, you know, who is the real Gino Barbaro?
2: How long is the show, my friend, because this is gonna take a long time. <laughs> the real Gino Barbaro, it's it's gonna be a, a confusing question for, for me and myself. I've had so many different journeys in my life. I mean, when I look back, now I have six kids. My oldest is 21 years old. I've got us up to down to a six year old. We homeschool the family. So for me, it's really a tight knit family starting out. I mean, going back all the way back, I'm, I'm a son of immigrants. Both my parents came from Italy. And that's important to note because I was instilled a hard work ethic. And that's where I think most immigrant families when they come over, it's the best place on the planet to be. We all fight to come here. And sometimes we, we, we lose that. It's always good to look at someone else's perspective. People see the world as they are, not as it is. And, and for my parents to come over here, to struggle to come here and give me the opportunity, I said, I need to do something really special with my life. And that's why when I started the restaurant years and years ago, I loved that. I loved doing that. I felt like I was an entrepreneur, but when I started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and T. Harvecker's books and all these other personal growth I saw that it was a job. It really wasn't an entrepreneurial adventure. And 30 years ago, Seth, that may have worked. But you know, as the economy shifted and the internet took over and things started changing, you either change or you die. So I decided, how do I change? I didn't yeah. want to make any more excuses. The biggest thing for me was you know, the personal growth, the personal development, the life coaching, and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And that's how it led me to real estate.
0: I love it, man. I love it. And I can relate to you. I'm adopted, but my mother's mother mm. and father are Italian immigrants as well. They came over, mm. moved in to upstate New York, and then they ended up coming down to, uh, my mom came down to West Virginia. And then that's how I ended up growing up in, in the, in the foothills of, of the, of the coal mines in West <laughs> Virginia. So,
2: uh-huh.
0: so interesting, interesting, man. So let, let's take it back a little bit more. I mean, fill in some of that backstory. I mean, you know, tell us about for our listeners who don't know you, which I don't know who would not, but let's let's just assume that they don't tell us about, you know, that restaurant, that first business, and then kind of that transition into where you're at today. Well, I loved it because I, I got out of college in
2: 92. And, and guess what? there weren't jobs back then, like there are now. There was a recession going on, right? There was no stimulus money. I get out, I can't even get a job, my friend. I'm begging my neighbors. And I finally get a job with AIG and AIG was an awesome company back then. They were phenomenal. And not that they aren't now, but back then they were really, a, yeah, it was a star company. I just hated reinsurance accounting. It was like watching paint dry on a wall. It was painful. I'm not a cubicle person, as you could probably tell. I am so ADD. I worked there for a year and I'm like, dad, I got to get out of this. He had a restaurant at the time. I said, let's buy your partners out. Obviously when they want to sell, it's worth X. When we want to sell, it's worth Y. So I said, dad, let's go buy something ourselves. And we did. And it was phenomenal for like 10 or 15 years. It was, it was awesome. We were making great money. It was a cash business. People were coming in eating habits were different. And I, I loved it. I love the business. I love the, the adventure of cooking for people, but you know, in 2007, my dad passes away and it took a little bit out of me. I mean, I, was, I actually sat down and I said to myself, am I living my dad's dream or am I living my dream? And I, I lost the passion for it, to be honest with you. And that's where I made the mistake, Seth. I never looked at the impact that I was making, even with that one restaurant. So everyone just stop and take a look at the impact you're making. I was cooking food for people's backyard barbecues, for their bar mitzvahs, for their bridal parties, for people coming home, commuting from New York and being able to take food home. And I lost that to me, it just became a job. And I just, I shouldn't have done that. But that's that's what it did. It just beat me down. 2008, the Great Recession comes. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what's going on here? I'm working harder, I'm making less. So as what people call today a side hustle, I have to look for a side hustle. Mm -hmm. I know my parents were in real estate, they owned a few properties. So I said, let's look into this multifamily thing. I had done a couple of properties. I had bought a uh, strip, strip center and I had also bought a mobile home park with an investor. They both went they both went south because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know due diligence. I didn't do my research. And in 2008, I decided if I'm going to go all in, I need to find a mentor. I found a mentor. The next big thing, thing that happened to my life was I met Jake in 2009. He was a pharmaceutical rep in, uh, in, in Westchester County, going to doctor's offices and he was catering food out of our restaurant. And we, he, we hit it off right away. He was my brother's friend. But I said, you know, Jake, when you move down and he was moving down to Knoxville, let's stay in touch. Let's start trying to buy multifamilies. I knew what to do. Jake just wanted to get out of his job. We got together in 2011. Our first deal came in 2013 and it's important why we chose multifamily. It was scalable. We were both working W2s. I didn't want another job where I'd go and fix and flip a home, although I love that it's exciting. There's a lot of juice to it. You see something that's crappy and you just turn something into something that's beautiful. But at the end of the day, there's nothing left. And you got to go to the next one and to the next one. And you know, transactions are great. They pay the bills, but ultimately, it's equity is what makes you rich. And I saw the fix and flip model as something that I couldn't sustain with the restaurant. I'm like, let me see if I can just figure out how to do multifamily. And I can ultimately, hopefully, one day transition full time into it.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And what did that transition look like? I mean, when were you actually able to walk away from the restaurant entirely?
2: That's a great question. For me, I had I had five kids at the time living in New York. So my what I call my burn rate was significantly higher than others. And I had already been burned by real estate. So I said, if I'm going to make the leap, I really need to be really focused and make sure that I'm not burning my bridges here. And for everybody out there, that was pretty stupid of me to think, because what's the worst thing that could have happened, I could have left the restaurant and if something goes wrong, I can go back to the restaurant or I can open another restaurant. I think most of us get stuck in that fear mode and you know, fear leads to action. That's what happens. I got angry and I, angry is great for a little while. Anger lets you actually finally take action. That's what actually ended up happening to me. In 13, we bought that first deal. Three months after that first deal, we bought our second deal. And six months after that, we bought our third deal. So within a year, we have 200 units and Jake already sees the light at the end of the tunnel because he's living in Tennessee. His burn rate is probably three or 4,000 bucks a month because his mortgage, his insurance, his taxes, his whole carry cost is a lot less. Plus, he's managing the property, so he's making about six to eight percent on gross revenues just to property manage these. So he was out of the pharmaceutical job within like know, about two months of when we bought our first deal. <laughs> it was it was awesome for him, right? And he loved what he was doing. For me, March of two thousand sixteen is when I ultimately decided to leave. It was three three little over three years after we bought our first property. But it takes a couple of years to get that first property for us. It took eighteen months. So if I'm out there telling everybody. How would it look like for you if you decided today, in the next five years, you focus and dedicate your life on any endeavor, and you can leave and become, quote unquote, financially free, would you do that? Everyone would probably say yes. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of working during lunch, a lot of struggles, and financial freedom is not what everyone thinks it's cracked up to be because I didn't come down to Florida in March of 2016, I actually moved down in June of 2017, and retire in the beach, you actually figure things out. And that's when it's time you can start helping others. And for me, it wasn't retiring. For me, it's actually working harder to me, the the picture of financial freedom is working smarter, working harder and working with who you want and working with purpose that that's what I think financial freedom to me looks like, but it was those couple of years scaling up with Jake. It was challenging. It was a lot of, I don't want to say sleepless nights, but working until 10, 11 PM at night. Cause you're working your day job. You're working your day hustle. And when you hear people say to you, you know, Seth, you're working really hard you should take a little bit of a break. That's when, you know, you're okay. doing it right. Cause I would have people tell me you're working too hard. You're working too many hours. And that's when, you know, you're onto something.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. I, I, I hear that all the time too, man. It's mm-hmm. like oh, you're working too hard. Well, but it doesn't feel like the same kind of work mm-hmm. either, right? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel yeah. like your nine to five job or maybe that restaurant that you lost passion in. It feels like you're working towards something for yourself and for your family and you're, you're building a business rather mm-hmm. than, you know, slaving for somebody else. You're doing it for mm-hmm. yourself and it's, it, it just feels different. And those hours go by a lot quicker. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And, and I love that you said, you know, ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen, right? I mean, if you're kind of stuck in a job that you don't like, or career that you're not passionate about, or you don't want to do, and you don't see that in your future, but you're just scared, or you're, you, there's a fear there for you to walk away, you know, what, ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? If I just mm-hmm. go all in and try something different that I might love and leave a, a purposeful life, what's the worst that can happen? And you said it, man, you can always go back. You know, Mm -hmm. it it might take a couple of hoops to jump through. You might have to do another job interview or something, but you might as well take that chance and give it a shot. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so what kind of, you know, how did you go about, you know, with that first apartment complex? Was it a syndication? Did you buy it directly? You know, what was the structure? What did that look like?
2: It's funny that you asked that question because when we started buying deals, we just knew one way to do it. I didn't have a Jake and Gino community. I just started buying deals ourselves. Our first deal was owner financed. It was me, Jake and my brother, Mark. It was the three of us. It was a 25 unit property. We just bought it ourselves. Syndication back in 2012, 13 wasn't the rage that it is now because the jobs act had not come out yet. You have to put yourself back 10 years. It's hard for people to do that. But back in 2012 and 13, the economy was terrible. It was 1% GDP growth. Rents were 350 bucks for one bedroom. Consumer sentiment was pretty terrible. And we just said, you know what? There's no money out there, let's start buying. And for Jake and I, and you know my partner, Mike, who ultimately joined us on our second deal, the first thousand units, we bought everything internally. We were able to refinance proceeds out, put them into the next deal. And for us, that was our path until we decided, you know what, we're starting the Jake and Gino community. We need to teach syndication because that's one viable path. That's one tool in the tool belt. And for us, our syndication came at about a thousand units. We've done three syndications. We love that model. Not every deal is a deal we'd syndicate. Not every deal is a deal we buy internally. Not every deal is a deal we'll do creative financing. You really need to learn all these tools and all these techniques and pick the deal, and every deal will fit one of those. You just need to know when to use them. You know, the first deal was challenging because I'm not in the market. Jake is living in the market. And for me and Jake, we're both I'm a guys. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and when the property's not in your backyard, it can be challenging. It's a limiting belief because I did have Jake who was boots on the ground, but I had reinvested in a couple of properties up in Rochester, New York, which was about an hour, hour and a half flight. So I had already been working with third party property management. I had already been managing from afar. It was just a different mindset. And, you know, Seth, one of the biggest mistakes that I see most investors make when they first start out, they look at real estate. As just real estate, as just landlording. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not just landlording. You are an entrepreneur. You know, Jake and Gino, we like to say we create multifamily entrepreneurs. Think of every single deal you buy as its own business. And we had a, we had Michael Gerber on the podcast about a couple months ago, and what he said to me was was really really. Profound because it hit me like a ton of bricks. I wasn't thinking about it. I think the way he said it was: you start with practice, then you, then you become it becomes a, a you know a job, then it becomes a business, then it becomes an enterprise. So you know every two hundred units we put them into into offices. Each of those two hundred units becomes your own little enterprise, becomes your own little cash machine, and you need to continue to replicate that. And when people are focused on just you know property management. In real estate, there is asset management, which is just as important, and maybe even more important, to segregate those two out. And looking at the property's performance and its NOI, and trying to build systems within the business. That's why we, we want to get into multifamily because you can scale up and you can create systems within that to help you. But when you first start out, all you're trying to do is get that first deal, and that's what we did. And then the second deal, and all of a sudden you're like at 100 units, you're like, I can't do everything. I can't underwrite. I can't raise capital. I can't property manage. That's why multifamily is is a team sport.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's almost like the information out there tells you, you know, just figure out a way to get it done, get the deal done, buy the property, and then it's just like, what do you do now? There's no. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's <laughs> like nobody tells you what you're supposed to do afterwards. Yes. You have to dig it's a lot. It's not deeper. sexy.
2: That's yeah. why. I mean, like we we have the buy right, the manage right, and the finance right. We just had a manager right boot camp for our students this past weekend, actually, and they were all amazed. You have to take a deep dive. It's not like you have to do. It. You can hire third- party property management and a lot of people do, but you have to know how to hold them accountable. You have to have what we call a cadence of accountability. Get on a weekly call with them. Set expectations, have key performance indicators set up with them. Know how to manage a property. You can let them manage it, but you need to hold them accountable. And if you don't know how to do that, listen, that's part of the game. We call the buy right's the back leg of the wheelbarrow. The other part is the finance, right? Those two parts of the wheelbarrow, once they're done, they're done. That manage right is the wheel of the wheelbarrow. That is in constant motion. And that's where, you know what, once you get into this business, you can make an extraordinary amount of money if you know how to manage these properties correctly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to your point in treating it like a business. It's Mm -hmm. not just, you know, buying a single family house and you're like, okay, well, there's, there's my rental property. It's done. You know, I'll talk Mm -hmm. to the property manager or manage it myself or whatever. When you're doing a a larger property on a, on a bigger scale, it is a business and you've got to treat Mm -hmm. it like that. And you've got KPIs and you've got managing employees and managing vendors and things like that. So you've got to treat it like a business for it to be successful.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree. And even when you're buying your first single family home, think of that as its own little business, as its mm-hmm. own little cash machine, and you continue to replicate, you have to think with the end in mind. And, and one of the things that we were doing in the last six months, we're creating property logs for every single one of our properties. I wish we'd done that in the beginning. Now that you have 20 properties, creating property logs for each one can be <laughs> daunting. But start right. in the very beginning, start with the end in mind, start with property management software, level up. Pretend as if you have arrived. What does it look like when you arrive? Where you're going to have property management software. You're going to have these property logs. You're going to have these cadence of accountabilities. And as you grow, you'll start implementing in them. But if you can take a step back and think of all these things that will make you successful, and that's why to me, coaching has been instrumental for the last couple of years because we didn't know any of this stuff. We didn't know how to yeah. scale up our operations. And I don't want to, you know, scare anybody right now. You don't need to know that now. Just know that that's what you're ultimately working for, because that will actually help you scale because people are going, I I can buy my first or second deal, but how do I get into my third and fourth? Don't worry about the third and the fourth. Worry about the first and the second. And then by the time you get there, you'll have enough experience and you'll have enough networks and enough connections to help you get to that third and fourth deal. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, for sure, man. For sure, man. And let's talk about, let's just dive into the the coaching and stuff. I mean, the Jake and Gino brand, it's everywhere. You know, what made you want to start giving back and create that brand, you know, so early on in your journey?
2: I had nothing to do really in June of 2017. (laughs) It's the truth. I moved down to Florida and I'm like, well, the properties are paying me enough. I really don't have to work. I had moved down here to start buying properties in Jacksonville. And it was one of those lessons that I tell students Everyone down here, when I moved down here, everyone's telling me, Oh, 60 a door, too expensive. You can't buy here. And I didn't buy. You know, fast forward <laughs> to today. They're 120 a door right now. Yeah. So you just have to, you know, take experts' opinions with a grain of salt. That, that, that's what I that's that's what I'd say about that. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, Jake, you know, let's continue to buy Knoxville. I really can't help you in that endeavor, but let's continue the Jake and Gino. We had written a book, we had the podcast out there. I was enjoying that, and you know, Seth. The biggest thing when you seek to serve, all of a sudden, so many things help what you're doing. We had created, you know, multifaceted multifamily. I have the the honeybee here. We had the investment property, right? And then from the investment property, Jake started the property management company. That was a second stream of revenue from multifamily. The third one was the education, and we didn't look at it from the very beginning to monetize. We had started all these videos and these podcasts, but. You know how powerful it is to get on a podcast with a Bob Berg or with a Robert Kiyosaki or with a Cameron Herald or with a T. Harv Ecker? You need to pay these people thousands of dollars for an hour's worth of their time. But if you're interviewing them, man, and then all of the vendor connections and all the education they give you and all of the scaling up and the networking and the resources – I mean, even if I didn't make a nickel, Jake and Gino, we've made our educate, our uh, investment company and our syndication company so much stronger. And we're continuing to learn every single day. So that's why I think I started Jake and Gino initially just to, I don't want to say kill some time, but really to fill my day. And then I started enjoying it. I started writing blogs. I started meeting some amazing people. And then you go to MM1, our first live event back in 2017. We had 175 people there. All of a sudden, our investor database is growing, and then people want to go to the next event, which was in you know in Nashville, which was about 400 people. MM3 in 2019 was 500. Now we're having MM4 this year, October 23rd and 24th, the Gaylord Palms. You know, we almost have 400 tickets sold already. That that thing is going to be six to seven hundred investors, but it's a lot of fun. And and you know, it's not just about monetizing and making money. It's really ultimately, if you're going to be in the education space, you need to be out there helping others. And for us, you know, over 17,000 units our students have closed, over a billion dollars in, in transactions done. That, that is awesome. About 50 students have left their jobs and gone into real estate full time. For me, that's where I get a lot of fun. Because when you get an email, email from a student, I close this thirty unit, I close this fifty unit. I mean, you have a little bit of a hero complex because you want to go out there, you want to help so many people. But at the same time, I think that's what life's all about. It's about contributing to others. When you've reached it. You have enough money for yourself. Another car, another house is not going to make you happy. But when you can help others out there, and ironically enough, the more people you help, the more money you make, which is really yeah. annoying in life. But that's what, that's what ends up happening. <laughs> it is, right? Because when you're working, I'm working at the restaurant, I'm trying to pay the bills. I can't help Seth close a deal right? Because I'm working for myself. I'm paying my own bills. I can't focus on anything else. But now that my expenses are pretty much taken care of, I can do four to five podcast shows a week. I can write a book. We can have seven or eight live events for our students because I can dedicate my time to that and not worry about making money. I'm not chasing money. I'm chasing opportunity. And I think that's what every entrepreneur ends up finding out that it's great to make the money. And that, that's where that's where the results show up and how much money you make. But really that opportunity is is what we're looking for because that opportunity will lead to you making the money
0: right right i mean it just it's an abundance mindset once you mm-hmm. kind of free yourself of having to earn a certain amount of money once that's taken care of yes. you just have that freedom of time where mm-hmm. you can start you know becoming yourself really is what it comes down to like you mm-hmm. you're you're kind of freeing your mind to go where it wants to go to creating things to you know writing a blog creating a podcast educating others having events whatever it might be however you can kind of give back and then things that come along with that are a lot of times more money. It's crazy how that works.
2: It is. And I'm telling you, it's annoying to be (laughs) honest with you. And then all of a sudden, if you can stick into it long enough, we we call it the snowball effect. You just continue to put your results or lagging indicator of your success. It's like a hockey puck. You're working, 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 no results, no results, no results. There's that meme where that miner is digging and that really how life really is. You're at, you know, you're inch away and most of us quit. And then we end up quitting, we end up stopping. If you just gone that extra mile, that extra inch, you'll see those results. And when once those results start coming, they will start compounding. But you just need to stick in it. I mean, we, we call it the hundred-year mindset. The hundred-year mindset is basically what me and you are doing right now. We're affecting our kids and our grandkids. And that's what we have to figure out. And we're in if we're in it for the long term you know, what's going to happen next quarter, don't worry about what money you're making next quarter, it's really next year, the next three years, next five years. So we basing our decisions based on that it's a long term mindset. And it really is about character. And it really is about really growing and really continuing to educate yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, that kind of relates to this. I mean, it's something else I love about you is your is your reverence and, and your focus on family. And it seems like, you know, your family first, for you, mm-hmm. and even with everything you have going on, you host a podcast with your wife. Um, I believe your brother's in the business now. And you know, how are you able to to kind of involve everyone and make it a family business? And how are you able to keep that balance between between your all the businesses you have going on and, and family life?
2: For me there really never was let's say balance because when you're working you're trying to include the family so at the restaurant my kids work at the restaurant they would come mm-hmm. in and have dinner there i'd come home with dinner at the restaurant so they were involved intimately there when i transitioned to this piece it was a little bit like okay i'm on an island none of my family came to our first event i was sort of i don't want to say embarrassed but i didn't know what to expect so i'm like i don't want you guys coming i don't know what i'm <laughs> doing here it was, it was like a little scary right <laughs> so they came to mm2 and since then they've been coming to all of our events so i include them in all of our events my mm-hmm. um, like I said, my wife and I we do the podcast. We just we just were at uh, Knoxville this past weekend uh, with the whole family. They're they're going to be at MM Four. They're selling swag. My daughter edits a lot of the shows, a lot of the podcasts. She does a lot of the video work. I had my fifteen year old this weekend out there this weekend doing testimonials and videos because my other daughter is away this for the summer. So it's just involving them that way. We write a book. Let them read the book, let them listen to the podcast. And I got my six-year-old jumping around going, Jake and Gino, click on a link down below, that, that <laughs> kind of stuff. And it's funny. And it's just it just permeates throughout the whole, you know, throughout the whole household. And there's an expectation. And to me, it's important because they need to hear the words. They need to hear the word entrepreneur. They need to hear the word save. They need to hear the word invest. They need to come to and see the properties and see what they are, what they're like. And my son is 18 years old. He's got an internship this summer with our syndication company. So that that's these are so many different ways you can include your family if you want to. And I, I think they should be included because the business aspect of it is such so crucial to us as entrepreneurs because we're stewards. We're stewards of our money and we're also stewards of our children to make sure that they go down the right path, that they're responsibility junkies, that they don't turn around when they're 22 years old and blame their parents or blame society or blame whatever's going on, that they can be responsible. Because once you have responsibility in your life, man, everything's completely changes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Responsibility, accountability. That's missing a lot these days with with what's mm-hmm. going on out there. Mm-hmm. Um, any other stage advice for our listeners who, you know, typically you have kind of your, your work and your business, and then you've got your family and those are like two separate entities. I mean, any other stage advice on how to kind of bring those two worlds together so that you can kind of have what you got going on?
2: It's really, it's, it's difficult when you're, when you're doing a job you don't love to do. That, that's why I got out of the restaurant business, ultimately, because I was coming home, I was tired, I was mad, and I didn't want my kids to see me working hard and not liking work. And that's why it propelled me to get into this real estate. And that's why I, I love Jake and Gino because I love what I'm doing right now. So my kids enjoy what I'm doing. When I come home, I'm energized. I'm not grumpy. I love it. I think for me, if you can get to that point where you like what you're doing and you can share it with your kids, really important. I, I think the other thing is when you do come home, try to shut off work, try to try to put the phone away, try to spend time. If you're gonna spend time, spend quality time. If it's not a ton, just be there and be present. And you know, there's, a, there's a book that, we're going to be podcasting a gentleman. His, his name is Gary Chapman. He wrote the five love languages. I, I would yeah. read that book and I would focus on your kids and see what their love language is, whether it's words of uh, affirmation, whether it's acts of service, whether it's you know physical touch, whatever that is, love them the way they want to be loved, not the way you want to be loved. And, and that to me, I see every child is unique. Every every single one of them has their own personality, their own way that they need to be taught. They need to be you know scolded at times. So figure out what their love language is and start relating to how they want to be loved. Yeah, that's
0: a great book, a great read. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the folks listening probably don't read books like that, but that one is one oh, that you've great. got to take down. You've got to read that and take it mm-hmm. all in because it just gives you a kind of changes your mindset like almost the purple Bible does where it just mm-hmm. changes your mindset. Well, let me start looking at this relationship a little bit differently.
2: Mm-hmm. It's funny because the golden rule is do unto others as you want done unto yourself. I mean, do unto others as they want done unto themselves, (laughs) figure out how they want it done. We don't, we take that for granted, but that's really powerful. And, you know, people have their own language, the way they want to be treated, figure out how that is and you'll have a much bigger impact.
0: For sure. For sure. All right, man. uh, I'll leave it kind of an open mic type of thing. What's one last golden nugget for our listeners before we jump into the Freedom Four? Wow. One
2: last golden nugget. I mean, when you're, when you're teaching your kids, I think one of the biggest things we need to teach our children, and it's really hard this day and age, is that instant gratification. Something had to pop up in my mind. I grew up with a cash world. I didn't really have credit cards. We didn't have Amazon. So I was able to say, you know what? I need to save my money to buy this big ticket item, or it's not that important. Decide what a need is versus what a want is. It's really important to teach our kids that, what the value of something is. So if if you need it, great. What is that that you need? Do I want that? you want a computer or do you need a computer figure that out and if you can delay that gratification and let them you know figure out how to save their money and how to value things that's really that's a really lifelong lesson that most teenagers most adults don't have because they were never mm-hmm. taught that so figure that out and if you can delay the gratification there's so many studies out there that show that adults who can delay that gratification and not just spend willfully will have a much happier life
0: yeah Yeah, it gets tougher and tougher nowadays, it seems like, because, Mm -hmm. you know, all these technologies and things are out there to teach something like patience, teach something like (laughs) hard work when, Uh you know, everything's given to you. It's hard to teach those things. You've got to be creative on how you present those things to your kids. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Well, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy?
2: Walk. I live near the beach. So I go on the beach like three to four times a week. And I
0: just love to walk. Beautiful, beautiful, man. It changes, it changes your mindset. Just looking at the water. I live by the ah. beach too. And as soon as you just kind of see that ocean crashing and you hear it and you're like, all right, I'm back. I'm back. Sand, <laughs> my friend walk barefoot yeah. in the sand. Yeah, absolutely. What's one life hack or piece of technology you use to be your most productive self?
2: I'm a simple person when it comes to technology. I love Google Sheets and Google Docs. I'm not going to lie you. It's something real. I mean, for us, it's awesome. I love Kajabi too. We have a, an LMS system, learning management system, that I just, I'm on there all the time, uploading files, uploading videos and trainings for the students. Those are the two that I, I can live
0: without. Cool, cool. What's one actionable step that our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom, more autonomy? Read the book
2: by Stephen Cubby the seven habits of of highly effective people. Once you read that, read it now and read it 12 months from now and let those lessons sink in because it's all about long-term. It's all about stimulus versus response, all about your paradigms in your life. I'm not saying that you're right or wrong, but there's always different ways of looking at things. And once you start looking at things differently, things start to change. Start with the end in mind. How do you want to be remembered? It's all up to you. You can decide how you want to be remembered at your funeral, reverse engineer that and start working on that. And then that'll figure out what your values are. You have to know what your values are before you make any decisions because you need to focus. That's what it comes down to. It comes down to the philosophy of your life, not, my life, not Seth's life, it's your life. What do you want your life to look like? Once you can understand that, you've got a long runway ahead of you, hopefully, and start planning every day to try to hit that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've heard that before, too, man. It's not morbid, you know, but you need no. to think about but just picture yourself on your deathbed or at your funeral, you know, mm-hmm. and, and backtrack that and it really kind of puts things in perspective and really makes you start thinking about what's important. And then you can really start setting those those goals that actually matter. I'll give you a quick
2: example. I, I want to have my kids beside me. I want them to say "Boy, dad really took care of me. He protected me. He gave me a safe. Amazing household to live in. Grandkids are there. I've got a legacy of wealth and I've protected them. My state's passing on to them. I've passed on to them some skills that they can use in life. They're all really intelligent. They're all socially adapted. They're just great people. They have big families. They all have four, five, and six kids themselves. So now what do I need to do today to do that? I'm doing that. I'm incorporating them into my business. I'm teaching them about how important family is. I'm around all the time. I'm helping them out every day. So I'm not going to be the person that's going to go on vacation for three weeks by myself because that's not in alignment with my values. My alignment, my values, I would take them with me on vacation. So your values and your actions start being taken from what that picture looks like. You're going to be doing those things today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, Gino, last question How has passive income made your life better?
2: I mean, that's a great question. Once you don't have to worry about putting food on the table every day and being stressed, you can decide to say, I can take the day off. Not that I ever have. That doesn't come to it. But it's just a pressure that there's just not, oh, I got I to make money to pay the rent or pay the mortgage that's not what I'm working for anymore. I'm really working for, for something higher. I'm working to help others, but I, I really love what I'm doing right now. That's the one thing that passive income has done for me, to be able to focus on other businesses and to grow other businesses. And as you grow those other businesses, you're impacting other people as well. So to me, it's just to have that pressure of not having to you know, pay those bills and
0: they're going to get paid. Money's coming in every month. I can focus on other things. Yeah. Yeah. And you had mentioned before, I mean, it just changes your mindset. It changes how you present yourself, the the quality of life, the quality of your relationships and your interactions Mm -hmm. with your family are just Mm -hmm. better because you don't have that stress and you have the confidence to, to do what you want.
2: Yep. I agree.
0: All right, Gino, thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredible, man. This is one of the best, uh, best podcast guests that I've had. I really appreciate you coming on. Where can our guests, uh, find out more about you?
2: Am I only the second or third guest then if I'm one I'm of the best? <laughs> <laughs> uh, go to jakeandgino.com. We have, you know, our weekly shows there. We've got five different podcasts coming out weekly. We've got blogs. We've got a lot of articles on there. So just go on jakeandgino.com. If you want to reach out to me, email address is gino at jakeandgino.com.
0: All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you. Gino, knocking it out of the park as always authentic, genuine, the real deal, you always walk away from a conversation with Gino with those impressions. Major key, work on having an abundance mindset. It's tough when you're still trading your time for money or you're earning a high income and living paycheck to paycheck, but in any scenario, practice giving. Practice giving value, helping others by sharing knowledge, sharing ideas, being motivational, and just being a positive influence on your circle. It will come back to you tenfold. And as you build multiple streams of income, once you've got your expenses paid for while you sleep, you'll see that you're going to be more and more inclined to give back, to help others on their journey and really share the secret sauce. I mean, that's one of the big reasons I started my podcast, to help you guys get off the Wall Street roller coaster and into hard assets and businesses so you can create your own economy and to start living your life right now in the present rather than some Wall Street created retirement age. And ultimately, this will change you. It will empower you. It will give you confidence. It will give you the freedom to grow as a person, as an individual, and I just hope that helps. As always, it's not just about the end, it's about the now. Enjoy the journey.
1: Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.